around. So I just want to make sure if you're new, uh, I want to introduce myself. I'm the pastor here at Beach Point Church, and we're so glad you're here. Uh, I want to do a little name game to get us started uh, as we kind of think through, kind of set up the theme a little bit. Uh, I want to see if you can uh, figure this out. There, there are a lot of uh, kind of big celebrity type figures who have changed their name over time. Let's see how well you do at this little quiz here. So uh, first name, Lou Alcindor. Who is Lou Alcindor now known as? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Very good. Okay, Cassius Clay. Muhammad Ali. Uh, Thomas Mopather IV. Tom Cruise. Okay, there you go. Now this crowd, I know you, this crowd will get this one. Mrs. Sean Carter, it's Beyonce, okay? So I, uh, I know you guys, uh, Reginald Dwight, does anybody know who Reginald Dwight is? There you go, Elton John and Curtis Jackson, 50 Cent. Now you don't say 50 Cent to your grandkids or kids, okay? They will mock you. Okay? Now, you know you become a big deal when you can shorten your name to, a, to one word, right? And this is, I don't know if this is how long this has been going on. The first person I, I remember, first kind of big celebrity was Pele. Uh, that was like, growing up as a kid, that was like the only person I knew. It was so cool he had only one name. But now we have Sting, Bono, Madonna, Oprah, Kobe, Satch. I mean, we have all kinds of, of like big celebrities that go by just one name. Now, okay, now you're a really big deal if you can add the uh, uh, word the before your name. So let me see if you can figure this out. Who is The Rock? Dwayne Johnson, okay. Who is The Duke? John Wayne. And who is The King? No, Jesus, guys. Come on. Ah. Well, we're going to have to get to work here because uh, we are talking about the story. Uh, This is our theme. We're going through the Bible, and today we're going to see how Israel called out for a king. We're going through uh, this book called The Story. It's an abridged version of the Bible. It's not the Bible. It's an abridged version of the Bible. It's chronological. Um, it, so it helps us kind of see the big story of God as we kind of enter in each week to one of the, what we call a lower story. So each week, we're encouraging you to uh, explore one of the lower stories, see how it fits into the upper story. But very important every week, uh, I want to challenge you, discover how your story fits into God's story. And so today, uh, it's very important as we're going to talk about Israel wanting the king, that I, we give you a big idea uh, that will set up what we're going to talk about. And, and today, it's going to be a little different. A lot of times, we'll give you a proposition that will kind of be almost like a, a centered thought, and then you'll see every thought kind of go off from this. Today, it's, rather than a proposition, it's, it's a question. And so I want to ask you this question. I want to ask you to really have a reflective heart as you walk through this chapter with us. And the question is, who is the king of your life? Who is the king of your life? Is God, is the Lord the king of your life? Uh, Or will you demand from him someone else to be king? Let's be honest. You have a throne. There's a throne in your heart. Someone or something sits on that throne. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's wealth or power. Uh, maybe it's a relationship. It's someone else that you, you put in that place. 
Uh, but what we're going to see is that everything in our life in one way or another can, can, can flow out of, in essence, who or what we have placed on the throne of our heart. And so I want to invite you to turn to chapter 10 in the story, or if you want to follow along with us, we're going to be in first chapter, or first Samuel chapter 1 in our Bibles. There's Bibles in front of you if you want to follow along. But if you have your story with us and you want to follow along that way, uh, it's going to be chapter 10. And as, what we're going to do is we go through this chapter and as we kind of wrestle through, I think about 15 chapters of Scripture, we're going to move really quickly. But as you see this, you're going to find yourself constantly being asked. You're going to be asked three different questions along the, the way. And the point of each question is, who sits on the throne of your heart? Is the Lord the throne or the king of your life? And so uh, just to kind of set up a little bit where we've been, we, we've, just been, we've been coming through this period called the, the period of the Judges. And so Israel has come into the promised land. They're, they're, uh, God has blessed them. He's protected them. He's provided for them. And so uh, we, we entered into the book of Judges finding out that there was uh, a generation who didn't know God and didn't know what he, he had done. And so you see really quickly, you understand why we do a family night, right? Because it's, all it takes is one generation uh, uh, for uh, our kids to forget who God is and what he's done. And you see the cycle. We saw this cycle in the judges over and over again of, of all this trouble that came as a result of them uh, as they're walking through things, trying to figure things out. And the book of Judges ends. So they're, they're, uh, uh, the, the kind of the idea in the book of Judges is they were, they were doing what was right in their own eyes. In fact, this is the last line you see in Judges 21, verse 25. And it really sets the stage of what we're about to see. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And it was very, this, this characterizes that, this whole season. So here's where we are kind of setting the stage. And so as we entered into this, uh, uh, chapter, really no words could really better summarize this period. So they, they've struggled with idolatry and violence and sin and destruction. Why? Because everyone's doing as they see fit. Everyone's, everyone, in essence, is king of their own life. And so chapter 10 begins, and we're going to be introduced to kind of a, a it's, it's really kind of this breaking free. It's, it really is a new chapter in the season of God's people. And so we're introduced to this woman, Hannah. And Hannah was barren. She had no children. And this, of course, as any of you have experienced this, this was a, this was a breaking moment in her heart. And so as you saw in the video, she would go in and she would pray. And one time she's praying. She's praying so hard. She's weeping. I mean, she, her heart is so into this prayer. And uh, Eli sees her. He thinks she's drunk. And then when he hears her prayer, he hears what she's praying. He joins in that prayer with her. And God hears that prayer. Now, it's interesting, in this prayer, she made a vow to God. And so page 130 of the story, 1 Samuel chapter 1, we read this. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of, of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. And she's making a very passionate vow, a Nazarite vow. And, and uh, she's making a vow to, in essence, if, if, maybe some of you have prayed this way. Lord, if you answer my prayer, here's, it's kind of a bargain here. And she, but this is pretty significant. This isn't just what I get. Notice she's, she's saying, look, her prayer is that she would have a child that would bless the Lord. 
And the child comes, and she honors that prayer. And she takes uh, her son, uh, Samuel, and Eli. And it's not just that Eli is going to raise her son. The Lord is going to raise her son. And we see this, that uh, uh, page 131 in the story, is that Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. He grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now, this is significant because in this day, we find out that people are wicked, they are lost, they are struggling. And in all these things going on, that Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli in those days. The word of the Lord was very rare, and there were no visions. Even Eli, the priest, his own sons were wicked. They were on their own. And, and, and so there's this wonderful experience that takes place. So Samuel's young, and he's there, and he's, he's, he's sleeping. And he hears this voice, Samuel, Samuel. So he wakes up, and he runs into Eli. He says, yes, you called. He says, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. And so he goes back to sleep. He hears it again, Samuel, Samuel. He gets up, and he runs to Eli. Yes, you called. I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. This happens a third time. And finally, Eli realizes, this is, this is not me. This is someone else. And he said, so he gives him instructions. Next time you hear this voice, you, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And so a fourth time, he hears this. And the fourth time, it says this uh, uh, on, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in in his place, and the Lord came and stood there, calling, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Now let's pause there for a second. Let's ask a question. We're trying to figure out, is the Lord the king of your life? And one of the great ways to figure that out is, are you saying, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Is this what you're asking? Is this what you're requesting? Is this what you're saying? Is this the posture of your heart? See, a listening posture identifies really who's on the throne, And if we believe the Lord, the Lord is the one that is on the throne, then we're asking him to speak and we're expecting to listen. And and not just expecting to hear something, but expecting to obey what we hear. So do you approach the throne as a servant of the king? Or do you speak to him as he is your servant? Now last weekend was very interesting. We had this wonderful weekend where we, we gathered a group of leaders together and we prayed prayed a very bold prayer. And we were praying uh, uh, and, and thinking about whether or not God would use a group of us, that he would raise up a group of us and go into one of the last unreached, unengaged people groups. So unreached, unengaged means less than 2% of that population is Christian. Unengaged means there's really uh, no one really going out to those people. And so we've been praying, Lord, would you use some beach folk for something like that? Are we qualified? Could you, do, could you use people like us? And the only thing that really gives me any faith or any hope that God could use us is if we would learn to pray, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. If we are the kinds of people who are praying, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, then God, if he wills it, 
can then speak into our group. He can, he can pull out five, six people that he wants. But only if we're listening. And if only if we've postured ourselves and say, you're the king, you're on the throne, you know what's best, you have a perspective that I don't have. And so even though it scares me, even though the, the sand I like to be in is the one in front of this ocean over here in the Pacific Ocean, I'll go if you call me. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Hearing God is not always easy, is it? Sometimes we don't know if it's the Lord's voice or the pizza we ate last night. Uh, sometimes we don't like what we hear. Uh, and that was Samuel's case. Because what God revealed to him when he finally spoke was that he was bringing a, a new work to Israel and to his people. But that also meant judgment on Eli and his family. And he didn't want to say anything to Eli when Eli wanted to know. So what did he say? And he's like, ah, let's talk about it later. And finally Eli pressed him. And he told him, he had to tell him this very difficult thing, this judgment that was coming against him and his family. And Eli knew, no, this is the Lord. This is right. So are you saying, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening? Now this boy grows to a man and Samuel becomes the spiritual leader of the nation of Israel. And as the chapter continues, we see that Israel is involved with these great battles with the Philistines and uh, uh, all these losses that are coming. And there's one point where they lose, and not only do they lose, they lose the Ark of the Covenant. And this is, a, this is a tremendous win for the Philistines. They take the ark. They're kind of fascinated by it. Like, oh, we caught their God. And they take, it's like Pokemon Go kind of thing. They caught him and they kind of stick him in their little collection. They put him, the, the ark in their temple next to the statue of their God. Bad move. Bad move. If you want to try to, this is a great symbol for us. You want to try to harness the king of heaven. You want to try to make the king of heaven submit to your God, to your throne. Bad move. Because they take this ark and, they, and this is the presence of God and they place it in their temple next to their statue and the, and the statue falls and crumbles to the ground. And for the next seven months, people are breaking out with these tumors all over until finally they get the courage to put the ark on a, on a cart and take it back, leave it on the border and say, take it, get, keep it away, keep him away. We don't want anything to do with your God. And it's this interesting moment so in this moment of, of where the, the Philistines think they have this great victory, they find that they, they, they've been challenged. And, and, and for the people of God, this is this incredible moment. They, there's, and Samuel's trying to lead them in this moment. Submit to the Lord. Submit to him. Let him lead you. Let, get rid of all your other gods. Submit to him. And he can lead us forward. And instead, the people uh, resist him. And they ask instead to give them a king. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 and 5 says, The elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now this is a terrible leadership moment. A terrible leadership moment. Here are the leaders, the elders of Israel, and they come to Samuel, who is the, who's their, their guy, their prophet. Their, uh, and so God is their king, and they're saying, we don't want God as our king. Appoint for us a king. We want a, a military leader, just like all the other nations have. And so here's the second important question I want you to figure out, and it helps you figure out whether or not the Lord is on the throne of your life or not. Do you want... To be holy 
or do you want to be like everyone else? Do you want to be holy or do you want to be like everyone else? Now pause for a minute and let's think about this. This is a, this is a tremendous moment because when the people are saying to Samuel, we don't want him to be our king or we want a king. They're saying, we don't want God to be our king anymore. We don't trust him to be our king. Give us another king. And so they're rejecting the Lord in this moment. But not only are they rejecting the Lord, they're rejecting his vision for them, his plan for them. I don't know if you remember a few weeks back, we were talking about this vision that God had given his people. And he said this, he said, you're my treasured possession. I want you to be a holy nation, a, a, a kingdom of priests. Remember what he wanted? He wanted them to be set apart, different, unlike all the other nations. And then in their difference, in their, in their set-apartness for God and God alone, that they would then go and be a blessing to the nations. And so you got to think of it this way. As nations would come up against each other, the, the vision was they would come against the people of God and they would see Israel and they would say, wow, look at you. Look at, look at the, the power of your, of your kingdom and look at the, the, the blessing of your kingdom. Who is your king? Who is your king? We want to know your king. And they would be able to say, Yahweh is our king. The Lord is our king. And, and, and through this, it would be able to be this blessing to all the nations. But, but here's what we've found, is they just keep resisting this vision to be set apart for God. They're rejecting him as king. They're rejecting his vision for them. And when we reject God, and when we reject his vision for us, This is a very dangerous place for us to be. But when we embrace this vision of him as the king and our lives set apart for him, he can do incredible things in us, incredible things through us. Back in the 1800s, uh, Dwight Moody was in London. And he had these words shared with him by a revivalist named Henry Varley. Uh, Henry Varley said this, he says, The world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the one who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. What would it look like for you to completely set your life apart for God? What impact would that have on your marriage, your children, your career? Your life would move from success to significance. What would happen if you set yourself apart wholly for him? And this was the challenge that was given to Moody. And, and Moody said this, he, he would go on to be the man who would share this line. He said, the world has yet to see, he took kind of a version of this. He says, the world has yet to see what God can do with the one fully consecrated to him. And by God's help, I aim to be that man. It's interesting to think of the legacy of someone. I don't know how much you know about Dwight Moody, but um, he became this great uh, uh, preacher, revivalist, uh, at the turn of the century, back in the, uh, the 20th century, uh, Moody Bible Institute, Biola University, uh, on and on. There's all kinds of like uh, strands that come out from one man saying, what would happen if I set my life apart for God? 
and for his purposes. Not just thousands and thousands and thousands of students, including many of your pastoral staff have been impacted by that. But think of the millions and millions and millions of people who were impacted as a result of that one decision. What would it look like for you to set your life apart? What would happen in your family, in your city, in your surrounding area, in this world, if this group would think this way? If we together would say, no, the Lord, the Lord is our king. No one else will sit on the throne of our lives and we will, we will lovingly hold each other accountable to this very thing. What will God do in us? What will God do through us? But this is not what the people envision. It's interesting. Their hearts are for themselves. Remember, the, the, the trend is this. Everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. Everyone is doing as they see fit. And God warns them. He says, do you understand what it's like to have a king other than me? Do you know what a king will ask for you, from you? A king will want your sons and your daughters in service, your money, your flocks, your harvest. Why? To make himself rich. And you will one day pray to the Lord for relief. But in essence, he says, but you will have made your bed and now you will have to lie in it. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, page 136 of the story, it says, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. Samuel's trying to talk him out of it. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like, notice this, then we will be like the other nations. And a king will lead us and go out before us and he will fight our battles. Just think about that for a second. When Samuel heard that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord and the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Now I know what some of you are thinking. They are so stupid. Man, are you kidding me? I mean, what kind of crazy pills are these people on? They want a they want a human king to fight their battles for them instead of the Lord? Now, before you say that, take a moment. Don't we say the same things all the time? Don't we sacrifice the same ways all the time? Aren't there all kinds of ways? Here's the thing I love about this. I don't know if you've experienced this yet. Here's what I love about going through the journey. It is like looking in a mirror every single week. I'm reading things about people. I'm like, you clowns. What is wrong? And then I see myself in the reflection of what's happening. Aren't you experiencing that? And we're seeing this. We are just like them. We want to be just like everyone else. And we see this, that although this is not God's perfect will, he allows it to happen. Sometimes God gives us what we ask for, even though it's not the best for us. Remember, remember the quail? He said, I'll give it to you, coming out your nostrils. Aren't you glad that sometimes God doesn't answer some of your prayers? See, this is a very dangerous thing. We want to think about this. Do you want to be holy? Or do you want to be like everyone else? Maybe this week you need to just think about, what am I asking God for? What am I asking God for? Am I, am I sold into the OC myth? 
Do I think I just need all this stuff? Am I trying to be like everyone else? Am I trying to measure up to everyone else in Orange County? All the things that I think I need, I'm trying to be like them instead of being set apart for him. Who's sitting on the throne? Who's the king? Well, you have to ask yourself, do I want to be holy? Really? Or do I want to be like everyone else? Well, God gives them a king. His name is Saul. It's such an interesting story, as you see. Uh, Saul's dad owned a donkey business, and he loses these donkeys, and so he's out looking. And kind of God has arranged this kind of uh, uh, perfect moment where Saul and Samuel will run into each other. And Samuel finds him and says, stop worrying about the donkeys. You're going to be the king. And he's kind of thinking, this is, this is not a, what are you talking about? Who am I to be the king? And, and Samuel walks him through all this. But Saul, we see, is handsome. He's tall. He's a foot taller than everyone else. He's, he's kind of like this big, strong, and this is what you want in a king, right? You want the biggest, strongest, like picking first on the playground. You're looking and scanning and scanning. Who's the biggest, strongest guy? Take him first, Right? And you were, if you were the peanut of your crowd, you were always getting picked last. Like, what's the deal? You know, you're, you're kind of upset about that. So they pick, they pick Saul. God, God sets Saul apart. And Samuel brings all the people together to announce the very first king of Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 17, it says that Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mitzvah. He said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel out of Egypt. I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you, but you have rejected your God who saved you out of your disasters and calamities and you have said, now appoint a king over us. He said this, now so present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and your clans as they come together and they choose from the tribe of Benjamin, from the clan of Kish, drumroll, here he is, your king crickets tumbleweed kind of rolls through it's like ghost town why Saul's hiding he isn't even there he's like here's your king and he's backstage hiding in the luggage hiding in all the supplies great you made a great choice at how this is going to work you pick someone other than God to be your king and here's their requested king but God does a kind of a fascinating thing here and they set him apart and they cheer. And Okay, here's our king. We got him finally. He's going to lead them. And they have this, this kind of first victory, this first campaign. And what we see, I, I think this is a fascinating part of this chapter, is you see this unique way of God's grace, that God is still working with them despite his, their rejection of him. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 12, you see this. He says, when you saw that Nahash King of the Amorites was moving against you. You said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, us, even though the Lord your God was your king. So here's your king you have chosen, the one you've asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. Now notice what he says. He says, if you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord, if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. So think about what God's doing in his grace. He's still saying, look, this is not my plan for you. This is what you've chosen. 
But if you and your king will obey me and you'll walk with me and you'll trust me, then I'll be with you and I'll, I'll provide for you and I'll protect you. But Saul, as we'll see, struggles time and time and time again with this. And as he does this, this is the last question I want you to think through. Are you okay with partial obedience? Are you okay with partial obedience? This is the last question that I think is super important as we try to discern whether or not the Lord is on the throne. Are you okay with partial obedience? Maybe you're okay with the Lord on the throne as long as you can share it. Right? It's kind of like, uh, remember the, the old uh, road trips you used to take in the back of your parents' station wagon? You and your, your kid brother, you draw the imaginary line in the back seat. And you make sure you guys didn't cross over. This is my section. This is your section. Don't cross over this boundary or you're getting punched in the arm. And this is the way some of us do it, right? All right, Lord, I'll share the back seat with you. But this is the line. Don't you dare cross over that line or I'll punch you in the arm. And we're okay with kind of, you do your part, I'll do my part, kind of partial obedience. And this is Saul. This huge battle is going to take place. And you saw in the video at Gilgal, this is going to be the the fight of their lives. And the Philistines are the most ruthless army on the earth at this time. They are huge. They are vicious. They have weapons and chariots and everything. In fact, this is such a significant battle that we read this in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 6. That when the Israelites saw their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. This battle is so significant that they all go into hiding. And so this small little army God has set apart. And what they know is this, is that Samuel's going to come. Samuel's going to give an offering to the Lord. He will pray for blessing and God will deliver them in victory. And we read this, 1 Samuel chapter 13. Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time he was given, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And all of a sudden he's kind of like, move, I'll do it. And he takes matters in his own hands as he saw fit, as he saw what was right in his own eyes. And you know how you use this saying uh, from time to time with people? You know, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Um, watch what happens before you use that next time. He, he's offering the sacrifice and Samuel now arrives. And Samuel says, what have you done? And Saul replied, well, when I saw the men were scattering that you, were, you did not come at the set time, that the Philistines were assembling, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against us at Gilgal. And I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer burnt offerings. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command of the Lord, the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would establish your kingdom over Israel for all time, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. We, we find this idea of obedience so important, full obedience. Later, the Lord instructs Saul to take on this battle of the Amalekites. He says to wipe them out, take no plunder. But Saul, again, lives a life of partial obedience. 
He comes in, he fights, and he keeps for himself the best supplies. And, and so Samuel's coming up, and uh, Samuel, uh, Saul sees him, and he's blessing him, and, he's, and Samuel's like thinking, wait, what's going on here? Why is it that I can hear livestock? Someone didn't do what they were supposed to do. 1 Samuel 15, verses 22 and 23 says this, But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Listen, listen closely. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and, and arrogance like the, the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And as we'll see next week, God has to begin to look and find a new king. And we we will see this struggle in Israel. Good king, bad king, good king, bad king, until Jesus comes. As Jason pointed out, as Kathy set up, a king like, like no other. What king... What king would offer his life for his servants? What king would humbly enter in and make himself poor so that his servants could be rich? What king? What king could do this? This morning we're asking you this this very challenging question. Who today, who is the king of your life? And as you and I walk through this very, very challenging chapter, we are hard-pressed to think, who is the king of our life? And I want to challenge you. The call for us is to follow Jesus and to make him the, the one and the only king of our lives. And so let me invite you to bow, and I want us to pray together. And I want to give you just a moment, and then Kathy will come, and she'll just kind of break your silence. But I want to give you a moment of silence, just that you have a moment to pray. And in just a moment, Kathy will lead. But I just want you to try your best to answer this. And if you feel like right now that the Lord is not, he has not, maybe you pushed him over. Maybe the, the desire of your heart is for the Lord to be the king of your life. Then tell him that. And if you pushed him away, Uh, repentance is turning back to God. And so take a moment, pray, tell him where your heart is at, and then we'll close in just a minute.